Hey everybody, want to welcome you back to the 10th episode of the Horror Lab Podcast where we dissect the best in horror movies each and every week. I'm one of your hosts, Will, and alongside me I've got my co-host, Chris Lee. And we are hyped for our 10th episode. Guys, this is a milestone. I realize, look, there's a lot of podcasts out there with hundreds. One of my favorites has like 450 episodes already. It's We're a small operation, okay? Like homegrown. So for us to hit 10 is no small feat. And um, it's been a good 10 episodes. So Chris has been with me uh, for exactly five of those episodes. So in our next episode, he will be co-host for the majority of them. So... That's huge. Thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah. Not everyone wants me. <laughs> nah, this, this is good discussion. It, it's It's been a lot of fun. So we're on episode 10. We also have hit a couple of, uh, of milestones. We have, I think, 12 or 13 five-star reviews on Spotify. So those are starting to creep up a little bit. Listenership is starting to sort of pick up as well, I guess, as, as the more episodes we put out, uh, the more searchable we are, that kind of thing. And so... Um, I'm just noticing little little things starting to creep up. Again, we're a homegrown deal, so every little milestone counts. It keeps us going. So, didn't you say there was a statistic most podcasts don't make it past the tenth episode? Yeah, I read I read an article about two weeks ago researching just how to grow your podcast, your listenership, that kind of thing. And uh, one of the the key metrics was uh, ten episodes. Most like seven over seventy five percent of of podcasts don't make it or don't publish 10 episodes. And so for us, like 10 is on the way to a hundred, right? And so <laughs> we go to get to a hundred, we got to hit 10. So we, we are hitting that, that 10, 10 marker. We are in the top 25%, I guess, of all podcasts out there. And I'm sure there are probably millions of, of podcasts out in the world right now. Um, but I love what we're doing. It's, it's an interesting sort of uh, discussion each week and, you know, rather than like a movie recap, we're taking this this uh, approach of hey, let's like dig through themes and you know talk through some cultural stuff. You know, from when the movie was filmed to now. So I, I love it, and we'll probably tweak it as we go with little things here and there. But um, for ten episodes, thank you for listening. Many more on the horizon. I was joking with Chris that I would love to be able to like do this full time. So if you want to go from couple hundred listeners to a couple million every week i'm good just start getting the word out all right guys we're getting there <laughs> i could i could ramble on about this all day i, I won't keep you but we are going to be diving into uh, a unique maybe little known horror movie um, yeah i had watched it when i was a kid years and years and years ago when it came out in 1990 and i had forgotten about it for a long long time and i got a text from my mom about a month ago she's like you should do this movie and i was like it's been a minute. All right, guys, we're going to do, we're going to dive into a deep dive. We're going to dissect the first power from 1990. I wasn't and even I born bet. yet. Well, there's, <laughs> there you go. I was already, I was already in elementary school and Chris <laughs> was still on the way at some point. Yeah. So I would bet that uh, at, at least hearing the, the name of the movie first, the movie title first, uh, that you likely have not seen it. So, I'll say what I always say, with the exception of Dracula last week. If you've not seen the first <laughs> power, I'm still hating on Dracula, guys. Which, by the way, that episode just dropped like half an hour ago. Um, if still have mixed feelings it, about it. I do, I do. Yeah. I discovered that I own it. I have it on, <laughs> on 
I know a lot of you probably don't know what DVDs are. I have it on DVD, and um, I was telling Chris at some point in the near future, I need to rewatch it. Yeah, with fresh eyes and like maybe maybe I'll appreciate it. It's it's you know. flawed, but I don't know. I feel like it's a masterpiece. Oh, but I always man. I always go back and forth. Oh, and I I it was uh not <laughs> not a masterpiece. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but I'm willing I'm willing to give it a, a fresh watch. All right, guys. The first power. I don't know how to describe this movie <laughs> other than it's it's really worth the hour and 40 minutes of watching. It's a unique sort of horror movie. And and I will say there are other horror movies like it that are probably better than this one. Yeah. But this one was for what it is low budget, super effective in what it's trying to accomplish. And um, I will even go so far as to say this. It's moved into my top 25. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Wait, I what, dropped waiting, out? I what dropped out? What dropped out? I, so I don't remember what I moved out. Oh, I don't remember. But it's in the back end of my top 25. Yeah. Number 19. Oh, uh, that's, Ted, that's I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, but here's here's the thing. So like there are there are and we'll talk about it. There are other movies that are better. There's at least one that I know of for sure. But Was it Fallen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly it. With Denzel. Yeah. Um, watching the first power as a child, you know, seven years old on, you know, ABC channel 11 in New York. And, um, I remember being terrified. There were some scenes that just scared me. Yeah. And so it's in the top 25, partly because of nostalgia and I can't help myself. I love nostalgia. I I feel like that's Um, a part of just movies, just, you know, the experience and memories. For sure. I watched it again last night. It's not scary. It's not a scary movie. Not not a, you know, I'm, I'm I'll be 39 in a couple of weeks, so it's pretty it's, it's pretty scary. thrilling. But it is it is a good movie. Like it, yeah. it it accomplishes what it sets out to do. So I it's a little known but really well-loved appreciated movie. Um all right, Chris, do you want to give us a quick synopsis yeah. summary? What is what is the first power about? Yeah, so uh, sadistic serial killer Patrick Channing. It's called the Pentagram Killer. Kidnaps people. He carves a pentagram onto their chest before he kills them. And um, yeah, so he's hunted down by Detective Russell Logan, who's um, alcoholic, smoking, uh, really gritty detective who's you know brought a number of serial killers to justice. He's played by like a pretty boy, Lou Diamond Phillips. I know, I know, it's so weird, man. I know. It's so I was like, weird. I feel like Lou Diamond Phillips was my age when he filmed this. <laughs> he brings Patrick Channing to justice and he's aided by a mysterious, a psychic test. And she tells him, don't get Patrick Channing executed because bad things are going to happen. And so Detective Logan goes back on his word, gets a. Uh, Patrick Channing executed, and um, Patrick Channing supposedly comes back from the dead. He receives the first power, power to resurrect, and there are number three powers, and the only person who had all three powers was Jesus Christ. And so um, Patrick Channing, he keeps haunting Russell Logan from the dead, and there's this huge showdown in like not sewage pipes, but like uh, waterways, like a water, at, like a water treatment facility. Yeah, facility a water treatment. Yeah. yeah, 
I guess it's oh, it's kind of gross. Now that you think about it, yeah, it is. Guys, guys, stick with us. This plot sounds wild, and it is. Yeah. but stick with. Us. And so, um, there's there's a there's a subplot where there's a a nun, Sister Marguerite, who who senses this darkness, and uh, she brings this relic, this. Uh, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. She brings a, cro- a cross, and inside like it is knife. like with a knife inside, like a steak knife. It's like a yeah. steak knife, guys. It's, it's like, like a steak like knife. A, like a Walmart. Well, we it's need like, to make a weapon, yeah. so that's where we're going. <laughs> like a little pen knife. And it's it's funny because you know her superiors, um, the Monsignor, the Bishop, and the priest, like they're all like, "No, you're not allowed to use this." Don't worry about it. Well, once he steals the relic, they're just like, "Good luck." <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, he. Uh, I think ultimately, there's this ultimate showdown. The serial killer takes over Sister Marguerite's body, and they like fight in the waterways. And Russell eventually stabs Patrick Channing or the nun. We don't quite understand don't who it is. That was kind of screwy. And yeah, cop shoots Russell Logan. I think he's stabbing a nun. <laughs> yep. And so um, the last scene is in the hospital. Tess, it seems like Tess, the psychic, hears the voice of Patrick Channing, who hasn't truly died. And he says, see you around. And I think that's pretty much the plot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've seen the movie Fallen from 1998 with Denzel Washington, I don't want to say it's a, it's a sequel because it's absolutely not a sequel. Not even close. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like a spiritual, like, sequel. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it really is. Like, I, I feel like Fallen is a, a better movie. Yeah. Better acting, better uh, cinematography, better cast. It's more effective in its in its scares and its horror elements. Yeah. Uh, but, they're both on YouTube, by the way. <laughs> oh, they are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Fallen in a while. Um, all right, so, so <laughs> there's a lot to talk about here, okay? So... It's not a great acted movie, right? The acting is not great. Um, Lou Diamond Phillips, believe it or not, is uh, he's all over the place here. Even though he was nominated for an Oscar in 1987, 1988 for La Bamba, which was a, a really well done movie. And he yeah. did a great job there. This one, he's he spends a long time either A, getting his ass kicked. <laughs> Like getting, I mean, getting thrown, falling through ceilings, getting thrown off ledges, you know, getting thrown through windows, getting like pistol whipped. Like he gets stabbed in the stomach at the beginning. Like he's, yeah, he is a crash test dummy. He's Patrick Channing out of his debt. He really is. But it's, so he's either getting beat up or he's like hyper aggressive, particularly with the female character. Yeah. And we'll talk about that too. Cause it, it's a really, not great portrayal. It's unnecessary. I, it's really unnecessary. It doesn't but I, add anything. But I feel like the director also subverts that too because the yes. uh, the psychic saves him a couple of times. Yes. Yeah. It, it is a damsel. It's a reversal of like the damsel in distress yeah. trope yeah. where, you know, the big rugged cop who's got a mean streak and an attitude yeah. and a, you know, a violent temper uh, finds himself helpless yeah. unless without the help of this psychic medium who just knows things like she, she's a psychic. So she knows stuff. And so there is, there is a, a, a reversal, like a role reversal there, which is really nice to see. Yeah. But the, uh, the aggression side of, 
Lou Diamond Phillips character, Russell Logan, is super unnecessary. Doesn't add anything to the yeah. film. It's uh, it's a little frustrating to watch. We'll we'll get there though for sure. Um, so Lou Diamond Phillips plays Russell Logan. Michael T. Williamson plays his partner, um, who has a really unfortunate end. Better know uh, so Bubba from Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah, Bubba from Forrest Gump. That's right. Yeah. Um, he plays a really good role. Like he's a he's a constant like, sort of like steady presence in every scene he's in, but. There's this like overwrought scene just before yeah. his death scene where she's like, you're in danger. <laughs> and he's like staring poignantly at the camera yeah. like, what? You know? Yeah. Um, and then the medium, the psychic, Tess, is played by Tracy Griffith, which is actually, who is actually Melanie Griffith's younger sister. Oh. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen Tracy Griffith in anything outside of this movie. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest, her scenes are like she's all in or she's like a background character. And when she's all in, I mean like she is the hammiest ham actor actress yeah. in the nineties in the, any 1990 movie for sure. It's like way over the top, way exaggerated. And uh, it just sort of leaves you chuckling a little bit, even in scenes that are not supposed to be funny. But Chris, maybe you agree with me here. Uh, Patrick Channing played by Jeff Kober is just terrific. Yeah. In the role, I, I think anyway. I thought they hired a real serial killer for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. He he's yeah. got he he's a guy. Um, he acts with his face, like his nonverbals are yeah. just they're they're really well done. Like he's just a good actor. His, his eyes, in particular, they're sort of haunting. You know. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of scenes early on where like it's like panning between his eyes and Lou Diamond Phillips eyes. And it's like, Whoa, this, this tension, but Jeff Cobra is terrific as Patrick Channing. He does a really good job of sort of yeah. maintaining the tension throughout the movie. Um, and he's genuinely creepy in yeah. the scenes that he's in. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's like his lack of eyebrows almost. I mean, I don't really have great <laughs> eyebrows either, but um, yeah, it looks like he has no eyebrows. And so it's creepy. Oh, that's, I I need to find the movie poster because the movie poster shows that he really might not actually have eyebrows. Yeah. Um, if, if this dude were staring at me on the subway, I I would I would get off at the very next exit. Yeah, <laughs> that's. And I think he's known for portraying cool. villains, right? I think he yes, was in The Walking is, Dead so... too. Yeah. Yep. He was in a movie. Oh, with Vin Diesel. I don't remember the name. A Man Apart. He plays a, a a like a drug mule, yeah. Um, really, sort of skeezy character. So I'm looking at Jeff right now. I'm looking at Jeff Cobra's like IMDb page, his photo. Yeah, I don't think he has eyebrows. Oh, I, I mean, he might. He, they may just be really lightly colored, but yeah. So he he's terrific in this movie as Patrick Channing. Um, he alone is worth, I think, the the viewing. Honestly, if if they had any other any other actor in that role, I don't know that the movie would be worth it. It would just be another cheesy, low budget sort of, you know, yeah. not great horror flick. But this one, one with him in it is is really worth it. All right, so Chris, let let's start with you texted me yesterday, and uh, I think it was yesterday, and I'm pulling up my text message now. So you said I noticed there's a big difference when a master director. Like Coppola directs a horror movie with the imagery direction and someone like the guy who directed the first power. I thought there were some interesting images that should have been explored more. 
Yeah. And we explore those things more. What What do you feel like needed more exploration? I mean, even from the get go, the uh, the title sequence, you know, it started just with the streak, in which each streak of pentagram forms, and pentagram keeps turning like a wheel, almost like a clock, and so you kind of get the sense that the, this this plan or the sequence is formed by death and blood. I thought that was really cool. And I thought there were a couple of scenes where um, they could have kind of kept showing that image too. So even with the uh, the water treatment site, there's like this long dock that leads to the, the building in the middle of the lake. Yeah, you could have totally framed that as like a clock, you know, like top down bird's eye view gotcha, going yeah. in, spinning. And so because, you know, there's a sense where Lou Diamond Phillips and uh, Teresa Griffith can't stop what's going on. Time is ticking regardless of, you know, whether they can stop Patrick Channing or not. And so I thought I thought that was a wasted um, wasted symbolism. Yeah, because, you know, I was thinking if Dracula, you know, divided our opinions are, there was this, you know, this, this motif of just like Dracula staring, like he's always watching. Yes. And so I remember there was a scene where... Renfield's character, Dracula's servant, you know, he, he has like a moment of lucidation and he tells Mina to run. Um, and it's really subtle, but there's like this red light, you know, and red symbolizes Dracula. Uh, there's this red light that shines on their faces. It's really easy to miss. And so, yeah, I was thinking symbolism like that, like someone who who is kind of artsy-fartsy w- would introduce more stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting though, too, because the, the pentagram... Even though at the beginning of like the opening credits, you almost get the sense that they're using the pentagram as the sign of the serial killer, right? Like his uh, his his marker, yeah. if you will. But midway through the movie, we actually find that the pentagram is used against him, like to keep him at bay. Yeah. So like, you know, she uses like this talisman, like this little thing, this charm on her on her neck, you know, around her neck. And when when she shows it to him like he stops in his tracks. So I feel like it was a mixed message a little bit. Like, yeah. is he the pentagram killer? Cause like, that's what he dubs himself as. And you know, pentagrams are, you know, they're, they're trying to make the, the case that pentagrams are like satanic and yeah. devil worship, which Patrick Channing is a devil worshiper. Like that's part of the story and the narrative. But then like, why is he afraid of his own symbol? Yeah. It, so I didn't, I didn't get didn't that. It didn't make sense because right. he, even before, I forget the author's name, but uh, you know Bubba, <laughs> his, his his necklace turns into a pentagram yes, and it shows it that he's about to die, and so yeah, I feel like I feel like she just forgot what she was supposed to hold. <laughs> I know, I know, it it is. It feels like the the pentagram itself is like used in some ways in this scene, and then in different ways, like completely contradictory yeah. scene and and that might have been just a mistake a, a filming mistake yeah but it, it just i don't know so patrick channing he's a serial killer right who has the first power of resurrection her warning at the beginning to lou diamond phillips is hey i'm gonna give you all the information you need to catch him here's where he's gonna be which here's a plot hole okay if you're a psychic and you know where dude's gonna be today why didn't you know where he was gonna be yesterday when you could have prevented 
the murder or five days ago when you could have prevented four other murders. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so she like randomly calls him out of the blue. She's like, I'm going to let you catch him. Here's, here's where you're going to go. Here's where he's going to be. But no death penalty. The idea that, you know, him dying ultimately leads to resurrection. Yeah. And in spirit form, he can possess or inhabit the bodies of anybody around him, which we see, we sort of see that, right? So this is where I can't help but compare the first power to Fallen, okay? In the first power, we don't actually see those transitions taking place. We don't see the possession scenes happening. We just see random people sort of inserted in and out of scenes. Some of them die, some of them, you know, they disappear, that kind of thing. But we don't ever see Patrick Channing going from one person to the next or one person to the next, right? Yeah. In Fallen, there's a super effective scene yeah. midway through the movie where the the spirit is is passed through touch. The serial killer's spirit, right? The spirit that was possessing him, which I will never forget the reveal of that demon's name in the basement of the cabin as he's like wiping the wall. I remember yeah. having chills. Anyway, that's a whole different movie. We'll get there in, a, in another episode. But in that in that movie, the we see the demon or you know the the spirit transferring from person to person by touch, and so there's this super effective scene where you know people are walking and they're like bumping into each other, and it passes yeah. to the next person, and that person like grabs the other person's hand, walking you know on the other side, and it it tra- and so that's how it's able to sort of track him down. In this one, we don't we don't have that that visual sort of yeah. effect. It's just implied that yeah. it's just a new person. It's also effective you know, in its own way because it, 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 it can be a little scary. Because you don't know. Yeah. Right? Like you don't you don't know. And I think that's part of it is, you know, it, it takes the form of I think his his police det- of his uh his lieutenant. Right. It takes the form of the nun. It takes the form of uh, a, like a random person who jumps off a building, which. We'll get to that scene. That's an awesome. Yeah. Scene. And, and the uh, the homeless woman. The homeless woman, right. Yeah. That's right. So it it has this implied, hey, this this demon could be anybody. Yeah. And nobody all at once. You never really know who who it is until they kill you. Yeah. You know? And so it's almost like the the psychic's warning was like, hey, it's better that he is alive and in prison than dead and roaming free. Yeah. You know. Why didn't she just tell him? I, I I know it, and that's the thing. The whole movie is shrouded in this like, well, you should catch my drift. You know, yeah, you should know what I'm talking about. And it, it's super frustrating to watch it again and again. It's like if you had just given him one more sentence, that one, I guess there wouldn't be a movie. Like we wouldn't be talking yeah. about this movie because it wouldn't exist. But it would just make so much more sense. Like then, if he made his decisions, knowing the fullness of the warning, then like you can hold him accountable for being dumb. Yeah. But like she doesn't give him all the information. He makes his decision and then she tries to pin it on him like you shouldn't have done this. I told you no no execution, no death penalty. Yeah. You know. All right. So that's my that's my small rant for the movie. The rest of it is pretty terrific, honestly. Um it's, Chris, you had never seen this, right? I had never heard of it and I remember okay. when you when you texted me, you know, you want to talk about the first part and I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> But uh, I so I w- went in not knowing anything. Um, it's also free on Roku, so I'm watching it on okay. Roku, and um, yeah, it was it, w- it was an exciting movie. 
as for all its flaws and uh, its dumb, you know, story tropes and um, huge, huge plot holes. Um, yeah, they depicted LA pretty well, I thought. Um, the action was really great. It was. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple scenes in there. He like he's just overdoing it, and it's just terrible. Like the yeah. scene where, um, oh man, he's always going to be Bubba to me now. When his partner dies, is like run over and trampled by the horse. Yeah, uh, the horse and buggy. He like his response. He's in a crowd of people there in this like festival downtown, and he just shoots like three <laughs> shots in the yeah. air. But it's not like boom, boom, boom. He's like fist pumping his shots into the air like like if i just get my arm up there faster like it'll go further and it'll, yeah. it'll be and like so some of that stuff you almost have to overlook as just yeah. you know let it let it go it's not gonna this movie did not was not nominated for any oscars golden globes you know screen actors guild awards it was probably super forgettable when it came out so just go into it knowing yeah. those things and you'll be fine chris what did you so you liked the action. You thought it was effective for what it for what it was. Yeah. What didn't you like about it? What didn't you like about it? Just the huge plot holes, man. You know, what happens to the nun at the end? Because, you know, throughout the movie, when they eventually, Patrick Channing, by possessing other people, get into these these fights with Russell Logan and, and Pessine, you know, the body ultimately, like, gets injured or the person dies reveals who it really is yeah. <laughs> at the end when you know Russell Logan stabs none and like you know blue light comes out turns out to be Patrick Channing I'm like what happened to none <laughs> right yeah stuff like that and I think um I thought it was a cool premise you know what if a serial killer becomes unstoppable because you know Satan gives him powers it was a cool concept but um I think just the different elements could have been better and so it goes back yeah. to my point about, you know, there's a difference when the filmmakers have like some sense of vision. And so, yep. yeah, I thought Russell Logan's character would have been better portrayed, you know, by someone more like, I don't know, like Gene Hackman in the 90s. Yeah, someone Ooh. like really hearty, gritty, um, just things like that. Okay, so I, I felt like Russell Logan's character was uh, super impulsive. Like he was yeah. flying by the seat of his pants. He was very much all over the place. Yeah. Uh, dictated by the winds of his emotion. You never knew what you were going to get, you know? Yeah. Everything was, had this like deep intensity. So like there's a scene where he has a nightmare. He wakes up, he goes, he hears some noises in a, in a side room. He goes into the room and he has this hallucination of like blood all over the walls. Right. Yeah. He calls the cops and, uh, they get there and it's a normal, it should be like a normal conversation. Like, Hey, it's in this room. And he's like, you need to get in here, man. Like I got an effing bloodbath. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, like, you've had 20 minutes, you've had multiple cigarettes. Like you should just be like, chill out a little bit. Yeah. If it's really there, the blood ain't going nowhere. The guy's not in your house. So like, you're not having to fight for your life. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you got to give these yeah. people a statement. You're a cop. You should know that. So I, I felt, <laughs> I felt like that portrayal versus let's say a, a, a Gene Hackman yeah. portrayal, like you mentioned, might've been a little bit more tempered. Right. Yeah. I think like, so. I've like I've seen some stuff and I, you know, act like you've been here before kind of thing. Like, yeah. You know, and he's like totally out of his depth. Yeah. Yes. So maybe that was the intent. Maybe that was the intent was to have Russell Logan be way out of his depth and find himself this tension between like, yeah, he's hardcore, this badass who doesn't know what he's doing and is like a bumbling fool at times. Yeah. You know, 
I don't know. But he, he, I forgot how many serial killers he brought in. He's already brought in, but it's like decent number. It's yeah. not easy catching serial killers. Which you would think, like as a, a serial killer catching expert, I don't know how else to what what they're actually called. <laughs> like he would be one higher up in his department, right? Yeah. Two, he wouldn't be just like doing like foot patrol in the streets catching serial killers. Like he's not part of a task force. The FBI hasn't brought him in to like make him this big wig. Like he's just this regular, yeah. you know, Joe Smith cop walking yeah. beat, and he stumbles upon serial killers. I, I guess. Yeah. But he also needs help from the psychic who has yeah. all the information he doesn't have. So it's I very like convenient. that part. Yeah. I, I, it is very convenient. I mean, why isn't she solving? I have so many questions. Why isn't she solving every murder in LA, missing persons cases? Why is she not on the payroll? Why is she not president? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so they, you're, you're right. They subvert the, the tropes of, you know, damsel in distress. She becomes in, in a way the, the heroine of the film, right? Um, this person who knows exactly what's going on and um, she provides the information that helps lead to both capture and salvation later on at the end of the movie. Um, but I, I, something I didn't like, and I'm, we mentioned it sort of in passing earlier, something I really did not like in this movie was the, uh, the aggression between Russell Logan to test the psychic. Um, he's verbally aggressive to her, very sort of condescending, belittling. But then there are scenes where he's just, I mean, very literally like yanking her around, grabbing her by the shirt and like by the arm and by the collar and like just forcefully moving her. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have any bearing on the story. Like for example, there, there's a scene within the first like 20, 25 minutes where he breaks into her house. Like he's in her house, breaks into her house listens to her voice messages, waits for her to come back. She finds him there and she's like, you broke into my house. Like we all would. And, um, he like points his finger at her and he's like, you know, stuff. I don't know. Tell us what you know. I think you're with him in the same cult. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So, you know, and it's like, it's super overacted, but then it's super aggressive for no reason. Like, dude, you broke into her house. Like just be sitting down having coffee and talk with her. If that's what you need to do. So I don't know. I, um, it makes me cringe, man. And we've talked about like generational differences between, yeah. you know, the nineties and now the way movies are, are explained and portrayed. I was super, I was super uncomfortable watching sort of the misogyny on, on screen. Yeah. So, so explicitly. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts? No, I agree. I mean, the, um, there was this interesting part, like um, I think almost towards the end of the movie where they have a, like a heart to heart at a bar mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, she like and flips the table on him and talks about his trauma and you know why he's such an asshole. And um it's like your dad like died violently in a bar and he like tries to flip the tables back on her. So I thought that was interesting. I like that scene a lot and it falls into a like a romance. It's weird. The it's romance, weird, yeah. They should have never like moved in that direction at all. Yeah. It should have been this not that. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't have been that. I almost, you know, that scene in the bar, I almost felt like there was a little bit of Darvo going on. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, where, yeah, totally. Where she's, you know, she's engaging a conversation with him about his trauma, and then he sort of reverses the order, right? Like, he he sort of, he denies it, and then he, you know, he sort of attacks her a little bit, and then he reverses the, the victim offender, right? 
And um, he makes it about her. I, I felt like, and obviously, you know, we're talking about a movie that's 32, 33 years old now. I, yeah. I don't know that those concepts sort of ingrained in the larger culture. I don't, I don't know that they had categories of thought for those things back then. But it was, it was sort of shocking to see it so clearly displayed yeah. between these two characters in this dialogue, where it's almost like he can't find acceptance in the fact that, hey, he, he is the way he is because, in, in part, the trauma that he's endured has led him to a place, right? But also some of his own choices have led him there as well. Like, and, and he's not dealt with those things. And I thought it could have been, yeah. and maybe this goes back to your point of like a master director taking that idea and, and sort of teasing it out for the yeah. audience to sort of, you know, listen to and lean in on. Um, it was never explored. And instead it was just sort of reverted to this, this angry man trope of like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. you know, you need to get your stuff together. Like, ha, huh, I told you. And so I felt like that was, that falls flat. You know, I felt like there could have been an opportunity at minimum for him to just apologize to her and be like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I tugged you around and like, was like this towards you. And he never does. So I, I feel like those things were pretty big shortcomings in the movie. Yeah. Um, they should have never pursued the love interest or like this flirtatious yeah. sort of like vibe. No. Yeah. Yeah. When you try to, uh, create those shots where they like look look at each other longingly i know i was like is this supposed to be sexual tension because it's not <laughs> i mean and they, they're both they're both overacting so much that it's like laughable where yeah it could have been a poignant scene in another another movie i mean so like going back to fallen fallen does this kind of well but it becomes a platonic relationship between denzel washington's character and m beth david's character where it's it's uh She's also looking out for him, right? But it's this, hey, I care about you as a person. I care about you as a friend. Yeah. This one almost feels like they jump from enemies or at least like antagonist, antagonistic towards each other to like romantic interest. And it's like, whoa, there's a whole chasm that you yeah. tried to jump over, you know? And so. Yeah. It, I feel like the director was trying to, who also wrote this movie, he was just trying to insert like these parts that you know we expect from you know big time action movies the romance and kind of falls flat yeah i also thought it was weird because um the scene where they go to patrick channing's childhood home oh man i thought that whole scene was totally unnecessary unnecessary yes also really poorly acted (laughs) that grandma (laughs) i mean the whole thing is the whole scene it's a it's a seven or eight minute long scene i don't know how they get there yeah, they just decide they're going to go to Patrick Channing's family home. His his mom is there, right? Is his mom? Uh, his grandma. His grandmother. Yeah, they go into Channing's bedroom, and it's, it's like in the basement in a cave. Yeah, it's I was weird. like, why do you have a cave in it's your so house? <laughs> and like, the psychic has this reaction. Like, I, I'm sorry, it's an it was like an allergic reaction, and she like channels Channing's spirit and almost like walks in his shoes as a child. And it's, and so like it, it almost had this, this sense of, Hey, we want to make Patrick Channing, not so much like this evil serial killer who is possessed by a demon, but almost like this traumatized child. Yeah. Born of incest. Yeah. Is right. And now born of tragic circumstances. And the, the movie doesn't set you up in any way to feel any sort of empathy for him. Yeah. So 
this scene where you're supposed to feel this like, oh man, like I understand now because like he was hurt as a kid and abused as a child. Like it, it's not a good, it's not a good play on it at all. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't do anything for the movie or the story. Um, and then it goes right back to Channing being this evil guy because the showdown at the end is like, he's just evil personified. Yeah. I think there would have been a better payoff, you know, because Lou Diamond Phillips, Russell Logan, he, uh, he tries to weaken Channing's grip when he possessed the nun, Sister Marguerite. And we never see Channing's reaction. We only see how Sister Marguerite reacts. Right. And, uh, I mean, she's not a great actress either. But it would have been, yeah, it would have been more poignant to see, you know, Channing finally seem a little human. But we don't get to see that. We don't. There's got to be some movies where it's okay to not make every antagonist this tragic figure that needs a backstory or some trauma that, that explains why they are the way sometimes, you know, it, it's okay to just say, yeah, he's just evil. We don't, we don't need to give you the why yeah. this is just who he is. Right. Yeah. I feel like if they had done that, it was, and, and I feel like it would have gone a long way to answer, not even to answer some of those questions, but just to leave those questions unasked. Yeah. I, you know? I think on Twitter recently, someone was asking, um, I'm not sure if you've seen succession on HBO. No, not yet. I mean, it, it's, full of you know like super super rich people who are just really terrible human beings and there's been a bunch of movies and tv shows you know about that topic and you know the reason i think it's so popular is because it it trusts that the audience is smart Mm. and they can leave things unsaid and trust the audience to figure stuff out yeah i feel like the best horror movies have a lot of unanswered questions you know like the witch the wailing halloween so this one tries too hard to ask and answer. Yeah. But there, it's almost like uh, it, if I had to describe how the, the director approaches that, it's almost like Q&A. Like <laughs> unrelated, unrelated questions that yeah. it's just an hour and a half for them to sort of ask, answer, move yeah. on to the next. And it, it just – if some of it feels disjointed, especially in that, that like middle section of the movie. Yeah. Um, so it, it does take it down a notch there. Um, there are a couple of really fantastic things in the movie outside of those things. Um, there's a fascinating stunt. Yeah. Where it, you I know, think there's like a, a, a number of them. It The stunt work is is top notch. It, it's it's the kind of stunt work you would expect from like a big budget, yeah. you know, Hollywood movie. This movie had, a, I think, a $10 million budget, which even at the time was pretty small. We're not talking, you know, big production value, yeah. production quality, that kind of thing. Um, but there's a scene, maybe 35, 40 minutes into the movie, where they're chase, he's chase, Logan is chasing Patrick Channing's someone that he's possessed through like an apartment building. They end up on the roof, and it's this like Channing is looking down at the ledge of the roof, and Logan has his gun out, you know, you need to come with me kind of thing. It's the end of the line. And Jeff Cobert turns around, sort of like a side glance, and is like, see you around, buddy boy. And he <laughs> jumps, right? And uh, I the first time I saw it, you just sort of expect it to be like, he runs over, you know, Logan runs over to the ledge, looks down, the guy's gone, but they actually covered the stunt all the way down from the moment he jumps all the way to the time he lands. And it's terrific. I mean, can I confess? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. cause you know, we kind of live in a world where all the CG is act, uh, action is CGI now. Yeah. I didn't think much of it. And I was like, Oh, he jumped off the roof. And then you reminded me, that's not how they did action scenes in the 90s. Yeah, this movie is three years old. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, wow. That must have taken a lot of work. Yeah, so so they use, so, all right. So I'm going to, 
we're going to talk high about the scene and then I'm going to give you a goof <laughs> because I, I rewatched that, that stunt 50 times in the last like week and a half. And man, wouldn't you know, like halfway through those viewings, you can actually see the bungee cord. No. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. So like real time at regular speed, you don't see it. Yeah. But if you slow it down, you see it just enough and it's like coiled and hanging in the air. But at the end of the, at the end of the, when he gets to the ground, it like, you can see that it like the bungee cord pulls taut. And he yeah. like lands super softly. But even still, I mean, to get a stunt double on a 10 mil. Now, look, I have deep respect for stunt doubles, okay? Stuntmen, guys who, you know, guys and gals who do this work. I don't know that you could pay me enough money to just free fall off a 10 story building and promise me that I'm not going to splat at the bottom. But like, this is what this guy does. He just takes off and like falls like he's skydiving and then just softly lands like cushion at the bottom. Yeah, and, uh, just runs away, and so it was. It was a really good visual part of the movie. That was yeah. terrific. There was another cool scene where he jumps off a building onto the car, moving car. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The glass shatters. Right. Yeah, that's that was a right. cool action scene. That's right. Um, I also like when Russell Logan and Tess they try to you know fornicate. They try to kiss, and uh, they're <laughs> cock blocked by this homeless woman who jumps. I don't know, like forty feet up in the air. <laughs> that was that was cool. <laughs> I mean, it's a they're good scenes, but they're yeah. like, they're always that's a good jump scare. Like, they're always set against these weird, random like what's going. He said fornicate. <laughs> I'm over here laughing like, um, it's, it has no place in the movie. Like you would never get that vibe watching watching it. Um, no, but you're right. There there are some effective jump scares for what it is. Again, we're not talking about an Oscar winner. It's not going to like stick with you long after you watch it. But it's a good movie that will entertain you for an hour and 40 minutes and you'll walk away thinking, all right, this wasn't, this wasn't terrible. This um, wasn't. As, as far as like deep themes in the movie, it's, it's a, an obvious, it's a play on good and evil, right? Um, the nature of faith in, in, in the fight against evil. Um, and in some ways I, I'm going to put words in the director's mouth. In some ways, I think the movie undermines faith to a degree yeah. Because they're so reliant on the psychic to give them information, which is interesting too, because set against that, you have the Catholic, Roman Catholic officials, the nun and the Monsignor and, you know, the Cardinal who have the information and they like, they know that this is a bad thing that's happening. And yet the only one that's powerful enough or aware enough to stop it is the psychic. Yeah. Who has no interaction with faith in any way. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I, I didn't think too deeply about the movie. I didn't feel like it was a super rich, like, oh man, super good commentary on this, on this topic or this idea, but it's sort of there. In yeah. Way. You know, I was just realizing if you want it, alter- it'd be interesting to cover this movie to the whaling because, you know, the whaling also features law enforcement and really dark spiritual forces that you can't see. Totally different aesthetic premise. Um, I liked it. I think people should watch it. it. I yeah. Think so too, it, it's an entertaining movie, right? I mean, we say, you know, the premise of, of the horror lab is like, you know, we want to explore the depth of horror movies, but I, I think sometimes we don't ever say like, Hey, sometimes horror movies are as deep as a puddle. Yeah. And sometimes they're, they're deep as, as an ocean. Right. And so yeah. look, the first power is not going to be hereditary, right? The first power is not going to be, 
some of the A24 movies that have come out recently. It's not going to be like, you know, when we talk about Get Out, like those movies are may even take more than one episode to plumb the depths of what's there. This one is just a fun ride on a, you know, Sunday afternoon when it's raining outside and you just want to eat popcorn, kick your legs up and just be entertained for a little bit. Um, I think that's what it is, but it, it, it's effective for what it does. I do think still think fallen 1997, 1998 with Denzel Washington, John Goodman, Donald Sutherland, uh, and Beth Davids. It, it's just a significantly better movie. Yeah, James Gandolfini. Yeah, James Gandolfini. Right for Sopranos. Yeah. Oh, he does such a good job in that role too. Yeah. Um, Elias Coteus as the the serial killer. A much better movie. I think even a a, a scarier movie than yeah than the first Power. I I like subtle scares, and I think Fallen has those horror elements are a little bit more subdued and subtle, but they yeah. they're like super memorable. Yeah. Uh, that scene at the end with with the I cat. Know. And you're like, I know, no. I know, I know. And, and the thing is, is it tricks you. Cause like it opens like that and then it closes with the opening lines. And I'm like, yeah, wait a minute. How did I not pay attention to that? This whole movie. Yeah. So the, the little twist at the end is worth it. So yeah. So watch the first power. It is the spiritual grandfather of fallen fallen is the, uh, the matured version of that movie. And, um, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Anything with Denzel right. is worth watching. That's true too. Um, let's close with this. Chris, what was your, if you had to nail it down to one favorite part of the movie, what was it? Or creepiest part of the movie? Creepiest part? Oh, man. Dude, I, I think the final showdown was just really great. The chase in the, uh, well, going down. Were there candles? I can't remember. It was really smoky. And then uh, just the showdown and the chase, Sister Marguerite falling into that acid bath. I was like, why is there an acid bath in the water treatment plant? <laughs> um, you don't need that down there. I don't want that in my drinking water. <laughs> no. Yeah, that was just really exciting. I thought that was good cinema and uh, special effects. Yeah. I That's thought the me. practical effects were good. Um, I thought the creepiest part of the movie was probably in the first five minutes. Uh, oh, he yeah. Cites the Lord's Prayer backwards or out of. Oh, yeah. Of like, <laughs> yeah. that was. I, I wish they had done more little things like that throughout the movie. Yeah. Rather than just going back to the sort of tropish, you know, yeah. plot device setup that they had, um, I thought the reciting the Lord's Prayer backwards was terrific. It gave you a unique view on a serial killer, yeah, um, on his character. I think when he chases him into the church and you see him standing on the altar and he makes, the oh yeah, fiction that that was that yeah. was creepy. Like that was creepy. You know, there were some things there that that were really well done and and you know well directed overall. As a as a whole, the movie's probably a six, six and a half out of ten. It's not it's not gonna win a major award or anything like that. You're not gonna walk away thinking it's the best movie I ever saw. Um, but it's it's effective for a horror movie. It's effective. I feel like you're being kind of generous. I am being generous. <laughs> <laughs> I have to justify it being in my top in my top twenty five. Yeah. Uh maybe maybe a realistically, Dracula was a better movie. Better made movie? Better made movie. I think i would enjoy the first power more just because it's not it's not pretentious that's fair it doesn't try to be what it isn't yeah for sure all right so if if i think we rated dracula i rated dracula four out of ten last week yeah as far as like production value and all of that the first power is like a three out of ten but the entertainment factor gives it another two stars so it's at least it's at least a five at least a five okay so these these ratings are purely subjective 
but they're also objective. So if you're listening, agree with me (laughs) or don't, but either way, give it, give it a watch. It's well worth it. Um, all right, guys, I, th- I think that's it. That's the first power. We're about an hour into into our episode. As always, I'll say it every episode, right? We are uh, we're streaming all over the place. Um, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Uh, give us a listen. Give us a follow, a like. Um, and also make sure, uh, especially on Spotify, because that seems to be the largest a streaming platform that most people listen to or listen from. You leave us a five-star review. It just helps with the algorithm when folks go to type in, you know, horror movie podcast, ours comes up. Word of mouth is a huge way to get the word out. Be sure to do those things. And then follow us on social media, uh, Instagram at Horror Lab Pod, Twitter at Horror Lab Pod, Facebook at Horror Lab Podcast, and uh, feel free to email us if you have questions, thoughts, ideas, movie suggestions, uh, email us at horrorlabpod at gmail.com. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Our next episode, uh, we'll be talking about the movie Coraline. Which it's one of my started, favorites. Started watching a few days ago. Super good so far. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm sure Chris has a lot of good thoughts. And uh, so that'll be it. And then Chris, the episode after that, which would be episode 12, how do you feel about the exorcism of Emily Rose? Oh, yeah. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, man. All right. Such a good one. That's also in my top. I think it's in my top 15. Yeah. Uh, Was this Sam Sam Raimi? No. uh, Directed by Scott Derrickson. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool, cool. It's a terrific cast as well. Uh, I think this one's a super effective uh, exorcism possession movie. But yeah, let's do that one. And we'll hop on and we'll we'll discuss. Guys, thanks for listening as always. And uh, we will see you guys in a couple days. Take care. See you soon.